0: Good evening. The president talks to China first time in more than half a year. Fall out from vaccine mandates. Could public employees strike in New York City? And almost 20 years later, we look back on the September 11th attacks. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, September 10th, 2021. President Joe Biden spoke with China's Xi Jinping last night. Biden initiated the 90-minute call with Xi, the second between the two leaders since Biden took office. The White House said in a statement the two leaders had a broad strategic discussion in which they discussed areas where our interests converge and areas where our interests, values and perspectives diverge. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki.
1: First, I would say that certainly economic topics were a part of the discussion last night, but they were not a major part of the 90-minute call that the president had with President Xi, and it wasn't a call that was intended to produce final outcomes or deliver final outcomes. There are I can't even tell you how many meetings among high-level policy officials and cabinet members on a daily basis. We typically don't confirm those, but that is not out of the normal, nor is it an indication of anything other than people in the government doing their work.
0: China's official media reported President Xi said the two sides should cooperate on climate change, epidemic prevention, economic recovery, and other issues. And Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is facing possible defeat in a snap September 20th election. Today, Trudeau defended his decision to call the election early, adding his main rival would undermine the fight against COVID-19. Trudeau, who heads a minority liberal government that needs opposition support to pass legislation, hopes Canadians will reward his handling of the coronavirus pandemic with a majority in the House of Commons. But polls show voters are unhappy that Trudeau, 49, who has held power for six years, Called the vote during a fourth wave of the pandemic. Conservative leader Erin O'Toole, 48, holds a slight lead over the liberal leader. And Britain's Prince Andrew has been served with a lawsuit by a woman accusing him of sexually assaulting and battering her two decades ago when she asserts she was also being abused by financier Jeffrey Epstein. Andrew, 61, is one of the most prominent people linked to Epstein, charged by Manhattan federal prosecutors in July 2019 with sexually exploiting dozens of girls and women. Epstein, a registered sex offender, killed himself on August 10, 2019 at the age of 66 in a Manhattan jail. Jeffrey says her lawsuit Against Andrew, forced her – says in her lawsuit, Andrew forced her to have unwanted sexual intercourse at the London home of Ghislaine Maxwell, the British socialite and Epstein's longtime associate. President Joe Biden's aggressive push to require millions of United States workers to vaccinate against the coronavirus is running into a wall of resistance from Republicans, threatening everything from lawsuits to civil disobedience, plunging the country deeper into culture wars that have festered since the onset of the pandemic. Today, more COVID rules were tightened. White House COVID coordinator Jeff
2: Zients. We're taking further action, as you know, to double the fines for non-compliance of masking on airlines. So that's a TSA action that was announced yesterday. We have a very strong track record that shows we're pulling available levers to acquire vaccinations and we're not taking any measures off the table.
0: Uh, There have been repeated cases of violent altercations on flights with often inebriated passengers refusing mask orders. Earlier today, Biden blasted Republican governors who have refused to get on board with the administration's push to vaccinate Americans.
3: I am so um, disappointed that uh, particularly some uh, Republican governors have been so cavalier with the health of these kids. So cavalier with the health of their communities. This is, is, we're playing for real here. This isn't a game. One of the lessons I hope our students can unlearn is that politics doesn't have to be this way. Politics doesn't have to be this way. They're growing up in an environment where they see it's like a, like a war, like a bitter feud. If a the, if the Democrat says right, everybody says left. If sometimes the says left, they say right. I mean, it's not how we are. It's not who we are as a nation. And it's not how we beat every other crisis in our history. we got to come together. The vast majority of the American people know we have to do these things. They're hard but necessary.
0: In South Carolina, Governor Henry McMaster says he will fight to the gates of hell to protect the liberty and livelihood of every South Carolinian. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, a potential 2024 presidential candidate, says she's preparing a lawsuit. And J.D. Vance, a conservative running for a U.S. Senate seat in Ohio, describes Biden's move as Washington's attempt to bully and coerce citizens. Rules announced by Biden yesterday could affect 80 million Americans who've not gotten the jab yet, denying them paychecks if they don't show proof. But today, Jen Saki says the government's power to order the inoculations is clear, backed up by federal labor safety laws.
1: This is a law. So Congress uh, passed a law in 1970, the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Uh, and the reason the Department of Labor and OSHA is able to take this strong step to protect Americans from COVID is that Congress passed that law. Yesterday's announcement uh, by the Department of Labor is proceeding under that law. And the law basically uh, requires the Department of Labor to take two workers. And certainly a pandemic that killed more than 600,000 people qualifies as grave risk to workers. And so if the secretary determines workers are in grave danger, he has an obligation to issue an emergency temporary standard. That's exactly what he did.
0: White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. The pandemic is worsening in many of the states where governors are most loudly protesting the president's actions. South Carolina, for example, is averaging more than 5,000 new cases per day and has the nation's second highest infection rate. The country as a whole is averaging more than 1,500 deaths and 150,000 cases a day. Vaccine mandates are supported by a small majority of Americans, overall 55 percent back vaccine mandates for government workers and about half of working adults favor vaccine mandates at their workplaces. But yesterday, World Health Organization Director Dr. Tedros Adhanom, in an emotional appeal, said that rich countries like the United States have enough people vaccinated to prevent waves of death that swept the country a year ago. Tedros Adhanom says it's time for poor countries, woefully behind in vaccinations, to get a shot.
4: Been a lot of talk about vaccine equity, but too little action. High-income countries have promised to donate more than a billion doses, but less than 15% of those doses have been materialized. We don't want any more promises. I will not stay silent when the companies and countries that control the global supply of vaccines think the world's poor should be satisfied with leftovers. The world's G20 leading economies hold the key to vaccine equity and ending the pandemic. We have the tools. It's clear what needs to happen. Now is the time for true leadership. Not empty promises.
0: Meanwhile, facing criticism from an African reporter at his press at her press conference today, uh, Jen Psaki defended the administration on the issue of vaccine equity, but said that the U.S., the country, this country's main responsibility is the American people.
1: The United States uh, wants to be uh, an arsenal of vaccine distribution to the global community. And we have provided, donated more than every other country in the world combined. We also know, and it is a responsibility of the president, to uh, protect and save lives in the United States as well. That's why we announced the steps that we announced yesterday. We need to do both.
0: And that's Jen Saki. Yet again, closer to home, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced today that New York City Public Schools Students ages 12 and up will be required to get vaccinated in order to participate in certain performing arts programs. The new mandate comes weeks after the city said students playing contact sports would be required to be vaccinated and includes chorus, musical theater, dance, band and cheerleading, among other activities. The requirement goes into effect immediately. It's another day of tough talk. Yesterday, Mayor de Blasio said city workers who aren't vaccinated could be disciplined and lose their paychecks.
2: Now, if someone, again, does not follow that mandate, it's true. Eventually, they're not going to be paid, obviously. That's been clear for quite a while. But we feel confident that we're going to have adherence and that we can make adjustments if there's any issues.
0: But the United Federation of Teachers, New York City's Teachers Union, said today that the Department of Education has suddenly begun a get-tough policy by refusing medical accommodations for teachers with serious illnesses, including those recovering from cancer or from organ transplants. The head of the United Federation of Teachers, Michael Mulgrew, he said the city's position is outrageous, claiming we have urged the arbitrator now working with the case to ensure that medical accommodations requested will be evaluated on the basis of medical necessity. He spoke at a special news conference earlier today.
2: During that bargaining, it became clear to us when the city put across the table that they would recognize people's legal right to an exemption or an accommodation, but they wanted them still removed from payroll, which we at that point said publicly was illegal. And then we filed with the Public Employee Relations Board and we did mediation for a couple of days. And then clearly we knew we had to move into arbitration because it was not going to get done. The city must recognize their rights to accommodations and exemptions and their right to continue working. And then on Wednesday, in the middle of the arbitration, I was very, very concerned when the mayor was publicly talking about an arbitration process that was still ongoing, because that is not supposed to happen. And then when he finished, he did say to folks that, oh, yes, we're going to recognize people's rights for accommodations and exemptions, and we will give them work, something that he was not willing to do until we did this, started this process. And then at the end, he said, but only a very few would qualify. Within 24 hours of the mayor making that statement, the Department of Education started blanketly denying some of the most severe medical accommodations that were being asked for, accommodations that would be granted by anyone else. This is not about any individual's political agenda. Today, I have spoken, already spoken with the Commissioner of the Labor for New York State, and the Attorney General. And I have told them that if this matter is not rectified within 24 hours, we are going to call for official investigations into the city's actions. The city must reverse this. We need a transparent policy. As we move further into this pandemic, decisions must be made on medical facts, not on your own political agendas or your needs of a bureaucracy. And I'm telling you, within 24 hours, if this is not rectified, we are going to both the Attorney General's Office and the Department of Labor to ask for formal investigations into the city and the Department of Ed's actions.
0: And that's the head of the UFT, Michael Mulgroom. a teacher living with kidney disease named Ari says he wants to teach from home, but risking COVID by coming into school could be a death sentence.
3: My name is Ari Deckard. I do teach music at the Academy for Software Engineering uh, in Manhattan. I've had a long course of medical things. I'm mostly okay, but I have serious things going on. It is not safe. My doctors do not want me at all in a crowd on public transportation, in a crowd in a building where there are kids, where there are adults who are vaccinated, even with masks and stuff. It's just too dangerous out there for me to do.
2: Thank you, Ari. And you worked all through this pandemic.
3: Yeah, 100%. Right.
2: Every day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And in response to a question by WBAI, Mulgrew said work stoppages are not out of the question.
2: At this moment, all I'll say is the first thing is we have to get these workers protected and get them what they are legally have rights to. And basically, we would like them to get what they morally have a right to do, which is to be protected while they serve the children of our city.
0: And that's... The head of the UFT, Michael Mulgrew. Meanwhile, in New York City today, top federal, state, and city officials said there is still no specific credible terror threat against the city as it prepared to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. U.S. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas delivered the message with Governor Hochul and Mayor de Blasio outside NYPD headquarters a few blocks from where the World Trade Center attacks took place.
4: There is no specific credible threat to the homeland arising from any terrorist organization or terrorist individual. And we work together to ensure that we are watching uh, the flow of information very carefully, not just domestically, but around the world. The threat landscape has evolved over the last 20 years. In the immediate aftermath of 9-11, our focus was on the foreign terrorist fighter, the individual who sought to penetrate our defenses and enter the United States and do us harm. Over the ensuing decade or so, the threat evolved and it became the homegrown violent extremist, the individual already resident in the United States who was radicalized by an ideology of a foreign terrorist organization. Over the last few years, that threat again has evolved and we are focused on the domestic violent extremist, the individual who is radicalized by an ideology of hate or false narratives spread on social media or other online uh, platforms and is drawn to violence because of that. As the threat evolves, that doesn't mean that the prior iteration of that threat has disappeared, but rather we see a rise in prominence of a new threat. And we keep our eye and our focus, our energies and the extraordinary talent of the people in uniform who dedicate their lives to the safety and security of American residents It is because of them that we watch all of the threats.
0: And that's the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas in New York today. The NYPD and Port Authority Police Department plan to deploy officers armed with assault rifles, bomb sniffing dogs and plainclothes cops, not just downtown, where many of the solemn days events will take place, but throughout the city. Meanwhile, FBI Director Christopher Wray also spoke today. He says the government is ready to handle any threats as they emerge.
2: Under Director Mueller's leadership, the FBI adopted a mentality of doing everything we could and still can to make sure we never have to ask that question. What should we have done again? And instead we began to live as if every day were September 10th and we're still living that way today. Every day we wake up asking ourselves, what do we need to do to keep people safe today Tomorrow and the day
4: after.
0: FBI Director Christopher Wray. Twenty years ago, this newscaster, joined by morning show host Marjorie Moore, activist Dana Beale and others from the WBAI family, announced the attacks on the World Trade Center while live at WBAI's studios at 120 Wall Street, just a few blocks from Ground Zero. Oh, we have breaking news. It looks like a a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. There is a huge explosion and fire at the top of the World Trade Center. This is a live broadcast at 8.52 in the morning. We have no story right now as to the cause, if it's an accident or was intentional, but it looks like the top... Half of both towers are absolutely in flames. This is a huge disaster. Be careful. Stay out of the lower Manhattan area. We're going to get headlines on this story and be back as soon as we can with updates. Uh Again, live at this moment, an aircraft or something has exploded into the top floors of the World Trade Center, causing a massive disaster situation. A lot of smoke smoke coming out of the tops of the building. This is live. Mm -hmm. We will come back to you in a moment. And And that's a little bit of the day's reporting. Uh, Jose Santiago, then the news director, handled a lot of the reporting for the rest of that day. WBAI, uh, amazingly enough, remained on the air throughout that day until about 5 p.m. when um, it seems apparently uh, on the collapse of Building 7, the third large building, Uh, Part of the World Trade Center complex the fall, uh, electricity was cut. Upon leaving, uh, this reporter and other members of the WBAI family uh, made it over a few blocks to the disaster and observed the smoking ruin of what had been the Twin Towers. The next day, I took a microphone to the streets surrounding Ground Zero and talked to rescue workers. And this is back 20 years ago. On September 12th, 20, 2001, is what they had to say.
5: New Yorkers get a bad rap. They really do. For so being bad, for being this. But i tell you, I was most impressed to see so many people donating blood, giving water to people online that were giving blood. It just made you feel good. And again, you got to keep in mind, those buildings are pretty unstable. Right now, right, right as we speak, those buildings there, I can hear the quenching. Yes, Danny. Danny Olsen, Freehold, New Jersey. I got a lot of credit to the firemen and respect for what they're doing. I mean, I I seen the look in their eyes and their faces. It's really been amazing. The policemen got to give a lot of respect to them. Seriously, thank you. thank you. We I was with some firemen and we uh we were pulling out a lot of rugs and uh. I, I had a knife on I had a knife on me, and I gave him a knife, and I thought he was going to use it to cut a rug. Because that's what I thought. It, well, it was a rug, but he started stabbing it, and he said he just wanted to make sure that it was a rug. And I didn't know what he meant until we found the first body. And in the first body, it, it looks like a rug. It looks like a carpet inside out. And uh, they were just messed. So there was no, uh, not complete... You know, uh, no faces, uh, it's just a shame. Uh, where I was, i seen at least 11 body bags yeah. go out, and I've personally seen two bodies. You know, so. How long have you been here? I've been here since uh, 9 o'clock this morning, and I was here last night. Yeah, I went home. What uh, was like last night yeah, uh, in South Tower, I don't know if you know. If you go up on Liberty and Trinity up there, you'll see a pile of debris. But if you go over that pile of debris and get on top of that, there's a pit that goes out 100, 150 feet—a big, giant, vast hole. And uh, I, I would imagine there's a lot of people that's in there. Well, I've had some medical training. Uh, I'm American, and that's bottom line. And I wanted to be there. I wanted to help. Yeah. I'm from Staten Island. Had to get over on the ferry. Yeah, got on the ferry. Uh, I had come over with Frank Lecoury, uh, mains. They had volunteered a lot of their trucks, and I came, I jumped on with them, and then I came over here today, and I just pitched in whatever I could. You know. What's uh, your name? Dan Schmidt. What uh, do you do for a living? I'm a milieu counselor at. Uh, Jewish Board of Family Children's Services, Dela uh, House in Staten Island. And my boss, I talked to my uh, director today, Beryl Kendi, and she let me off to come do this. My stepkids' uh, parents uh, works in the 107th floor, but I don't really know them, you know, you know.
6: Well, generally a triage center separates the more serious from the less serious people and allows you to attend to the more serious people and just Give someone a bandage or something if it's less serious. But we were mostly just rinsing out eyes and giving oxygen to people and treating kind of exhaustion and stuff stuff like that.
5: People were actually working here?
6: Yeah, yeah. Um, I just saw body bags. I didn't see anybody come out of the rubble.
5: That's what folks I talked to said that as opposed to 1993 when this happened, there's a large blood of of wounded and injured, and this time the emergency rooms are silent. Yeah,
6: we're actually from New York Methodist, and we came down from Brooklyn to help because we were put on alert yesterday, and there was nothing really that we could do, so we thought we'd come down here today and try and help. We had to run a few times, went back and forth, and we've been trying to find the rest of the team that we came down with.
0: The scene around the uh, World Trade Center site, Ground Zero, I guess it's called today, just a day after the attack on the World Trade Center, killing several thousand people. The total attack, um, death toll is about 3,000 from the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and the crash in uh, Pennsylvania. And finally – New York City Comptroller Scott Stringer seems to be revealing a crack in our lame duck mayor's uh, final months and as he tries to get people in line and all his ducks in a line to uh, bring them back to work on Monday, Stringer revealed that he and his staff intend to defy. Mayor de Blasio's directive that all city employees return to their workplaces on Monday. Stringer made his plans known in a series of posts to Twitter just a few days before the mayor's mandate is set to go into effect. The move appears to mirror a directive from Governor Hochul pushing back the state's back-to-work requirement to mid-October. Stringer said, our concern for our staff remains paramount, which is why we will not be adhering to the mayor's order for 100 percent return to work on September 13th. Stringer tweeted, we will be delaying a fuller return to the workplace until at least October 12th to give us more time to assess the situation on the ground and build out a program for hybrid work. In a series of six posts, Stringer laid out his rationale for the decision and cited the highly contagious Delta variant of COVID as one of his primary concerns. Earlier today, de Blasio spoke on The Brian Lehrer Show about his efforts to change the mindset of people in the city from working remotely to returning to a pre-pandemic footing. He described remote employment for city workers as having a huge impact, unfortunately, in the wrong direction. And that's some of the news for Friday, September 10th. Uh, 2021. The news producer Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. Proud New York. I'm Paul Durian. So thanks for joining us.